Tapes. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hi, I'm Evan Ponstingle, the author of King's Island, A Ride Through Time. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey, this is Hunter from the On the Hunt Podcast, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hi, I'm Grace Peacock, Director of Communications at Canada's Wonderland, and you are listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. I accept the Coaster Challenge. 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 Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? What is the Coaster Challenge? A group of regular people that went from fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses. It's time to take the Coaster Challenge. Here are your hosts, David Cantu and Jenna Gazelle. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is the Coaster Challenge Podcast, and I'm David Cantu. And today, Jenna has the day off, so we are actually going to be going solo today. It's been quite a busy February for us over here, and I hope everyone had a wonderful Valentine's Day. A lot of couples out here in California, man, just seeing everything at Disneyland and over at Knott's Berry Farm, and it's just been really, really amazing. It's just been one crazy year, and there's a lot going on in the coaster community right now especially in the theme parks it looks like top thrill dragster will not be open at all this entire coaster season and we still got lots of new coasters going to be opening up we got emperor going to be opening up by march uh, here at SeaWorld san diego pantheon over at bush gardens you know iron guazi is already open and it's so far it people are just flooding down to florida and people are just saying they just really love this coaster this looks like it's going to be a really really awesome coaster season this year guys so I hope you guys are all ready to go and got your trips planned and hopefully you got your hotel rooms and your book and your flights booked. This would be the best time to do it while the prices are on the low side on a lot of things. Anyway, we've got a very special guest for all you guys here today. You know, Andrew is standing by. He's got a very special guest in the house. He's got Jason Ginsburg. He is, you know, on the popular podcast, The Season Past. Jason actually plays a character named Murph from Fake Theme park it's really really funny i highly recommend you guys to uh, definitely check out this podcast it's really awesome well what exactly is fake theme park well you know jason ginsburg has been doing fake theme park for many years he plays several characters murph is one of his main ones you know so we'll actually check it out in this week's youtube highlight clip of the week youtube clip of the week Alright, so in this week's YouTube highlight clip of the week, we're just going to do something very unique here. It's not really quite a YouTube channel, but it's basically a podcast episode. So, But basically, like we said, we have a very special guest in the house today, and he's got a very special announcement that he's going to be sharing with Andrew for the very first time that's ever been mentioned at all on the air. We are the first ones to have it, but the thing is, like, before we get to that, what exactly is Fake Theme Park, and what does Jason Ginsburg do? Well, here are some highlights of his character Murph in Season Pass. The Season Pass Podcast. Hi, this is Doug Barnes, and welcome to Vintage Season Pass, enhancing your love for themed entertainment with gems from the largest podcast archive of conversations from the leaders of this industry. 
Okay, from episode 256, we have here Merv Gantley, also known as Fake Theme Park on Twitter, and uh, a good friend at the time that this was recorded, we didn't know, Jason Ginsberg. So uh, this is the start. This is where Murph started. This is where we first heard from Murph. This is the first time that Murph ever spoke to public. So from uh, episode 256, here's Murph Gantley, a.k.a. the real person is uh, Jason Ginsberg. Here we go, Murph. First off, is the name of the park actually fake theme park? Well, the name of the park is on all the signs. <laughs> I tell you, you can read. <laughs> so I think it's pretty obvious for the name of the park. Big question to start with, though. That's Uh-oh. a good one. All right. Good. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. We're really doing our research over here at uh, Season Bass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we do. We research. We, we, that's our whole thing is to make sure that we know all about you before we get you on. So since mm-hmm. I, I know so much about you, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about how this all began? When did fake theme parks start, and how how did you get involved with the industry? Well, I I guess uh, I was born at a very early age, and made things uh, very difficult for me. Uh, but I'm born into uh, just immeasurable wealth. When I, when I was born, I was I literally the wealthiest person on the planet at that moment. A life of luxury, a happy childhood. Uh, but then the Allies landed on Normandy and they took it all away. And uh, we had to move to South America for a while, kind of a dark time. Uh-huh. But uh, after that, my uh, father, the family moved to America, and he began, uh, he opened a dry cleaner uh, in a very a very competitive area. And actually, it was dry cleaner's row. And so to stand out among the other dry cleaners, he would have little attractions. Uh, he had penguins sometimes, uh, balloons. So that's when I got the idea that you could use attractions to sell crap. And then I realized, what if the crap was the attraction? Yeah. And so that's where I got the idea. I bought a 400-acre uh, chicken ranch, mm-hmm. uh, ate all the chickens. <laughs> that was two years right there. Yeah. And uh, then I began making movies, opened it up to the public, and uh, the famous studio tour part of the park was mm-hmm. born. And then in the 50s came along the other uh, various attractions and rides and shows. And then... Animals, we get animals in the park. There's bats, a horse, really any animal that wanders into the park becomes an attraction. <laughs> becomes part of the world of raccoons. Oh, world of I think I heard about that. Yeah, they just, they, it was originally the world of uh, blue jays. The raccoons came in, took over. Now it's just, we just leave it to them. No uh-huh. point in, in upsetting the with natural balance of nature. Yeah. So that's uh, how the, Park got started. Uh, that was uh, one day before some of my competitors, who I will not name, and uh, they've been riding my coattails ever since. Yeah, really. So, <laughs> so I, so we're saying that this happened in you said 1950s. So there was another park that opened at that time. Uh, well, in 1915, yes, there was a uh, a, a a guy I knew, uh, Carl Lemley, who uh, started a studio of some kind, and also had people coming in and watching the movies. And eventually, it grew into this pale imitation of my park, Universal Studios. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. And then the uh, same thing seemed to happen in 1955 when you actually turned into the theme park. Yeah, what a coincidence. What a coincidence. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had all these attractions and rides and shows and princesses, and uh, the press was all set to show up, and then all of a sudden, this other park opens in Anaheim, and uh, we're second billing. Yeah, well, I think that we think we fixed Mer- that now. I think we all know who got the last lap on that one. 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Murph, you know, I mean, you, you've got such a history, such a long history in this this industry. Can you tell us uh, of some of the, the the rides or attractions that you opened with, uh, not, not when you turned into the theme park in the 50s? What were some of your big attractions? Well, then I guess the signature attraction would be Chaos Coaster, uh, still operating. Uh, guests may, now these days, guests may hear, when they get near the attraction, uh, the sounds of screws coming unscrewed, uh, <laughs> metal creaking, uh, struts, stress, leaning. Um, but uh, it's still a beloved attraction. They also might hear possibly, possibly, they get close enough, the wails of the 23 people that died uh, over the years on the attraction. Uh, not, not all at once. No. Not all at once, Dean. Oh, thank God. 23 separate, <laughs> 23 separate single fatality accidents. So I think the odds are pretty good. I mean, if you think, I mean, think about it, if you're in a plane, the plane goes down, you're all going down. Yeah, yeah. But uh, on my, if Chaos Coaster has one of its breakdowns, what it does, with alarming regularity, then you, oh, the odds are only one guy <laughs> is biting the dust, that you'll be okay. Yeah. So the odds are, the odds are always in your favor, like the, like the, like the book the kids are reading. Like they say, the girl with the bird who's on fire, and she shoots the bows <laughs> at the bird, and... Uh, yeah. She's angry, angry, angry games or something. Hunger games, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's, a, that's a good idea for a, an attraction. For actually. an attraction? I may, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to declare that right now, the rights to that entire idea, uh, <laughs> just so we're clear. The kids killing kids has kind of a theme park feel to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> where, where, where's the park located? Well, it's, we're on the uh, James Buchanan Freeway. So you take the James Buchanan Freeway uh, until it ends. Uh-huh. And then you uh, turn off the paved road, and you pass by a lot of memorials for people that have died in car wrecks. Keep going, <laughs> and uh, then uh, you make a left. Usually, it's a left. It may be a right, depending on what time of day. Uh, and then you're in parking lot uh, 37. It's just a quick, short hop on the shuttle, and then you get on the tram and moving walkway, and then you walk a little more, <laughs> and then you can usually hail a taxi at that point, and you'll be in the park. Literally, literally, forty-five minutes after you get in a vehicle. So <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's uh, it's great. an attraction in and, and of itself. That's yeah. incredible. No, that that doesn't sound like it's too that's much good. effort. I, I just wanted to jump back a bit since you we we mentioned the Hunger Games and you know uh, uh, branded IP and for you know theme park attractions and because you're both a movie studio and a theme park, have there been any films that your studio has been involved in the production of that you then turned into a theme park attraction? Oh yes. Well, we have uh, Galveston Blake in the Temple of the Cursed Jewel. Uh, that's he's a swashbuckling 1930s uh, adventurer. Uh, you enter this ride, and you're in search of three legendary prizes, uh, either treasure or unlimited refills at a restaurant uh, or the ability to predict the score of Conference USA football games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That makes so. Wait, wait. One of those, you win that. Uh, yeah, no, I know that Robert. I know that you have this whole question on brands and everything, and, and I, I definitely want to get back into it. But I was reading up something, Murph, that also uh, you actually were a little frustrated about not actually creating haunted mazes because didn't you have those as well, well beforehand? Oh uh, yes, we had all kinds of mazes that were uh, based on various, basically whatever scares me at the moment. So this year it was spiders and the Greek Euro crisis. And we find that usually people have some sort of reaction to that of some kind. Um, they're either screaming or their mouths are open in a, in a yawn-like uh, gesture. I don't know what that is, but uh, we're definitely getting a reaction from people. Yeah. 
Oh, that's great. I'm sorry. Let's go back to the brands. Cause I just wanted to make sure, because the main thing that I think that people need to understand is that you had quite a few of things, things established, you know, movie studio, theme park, walkthrough mazes, obviously roller coasters. You had this stuff done well Five before animals. Else. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. You even have a petting zoo there, right? Yes. Although we've changed the name recently to biting zoo, uh, just for the expectations are set. Uh, and again, most of those animals are hamsters just to be completely honest, <laughs> um, due to budget cuts and regulatory issues and EPA. And, uh, so, but yes, children are welcome uh, if they've had all their shots and uh, then they can pet uh, up to three animals. Up to three. It's, it's, now, how, tell me a little bit about this. The budget of running a park like this, especially when you do have so, some limitations and sometimes you have some situations that happen. I, I mean, how is it that you're able to budget for a park when you have limitations sometimes? Well, I've sold the uh, ground underneath the park uh, for uh, high-risk fracking. And uh, <laughs> I also, we had a policy in the summer where we uh, charged guests to sit in the shade. Uh, obviously, that's, <laughs> can't do that in the winter. So we simply charge guests to sit anywhere. We simply just sit down uh, is a fee. Um, VIP guests can lean. <laughs> so that's uh, those, has, those revenue streams. Uh, plus, uh, we also do sponsorships. We have marketing in the park. Um, yeah. uh, right now, because it's cold, there's a lot of smoking, which is not banned in the park, by the way. We, we encourage it. Um, yeah. so we have deals, Captain Lightning uh, smokes, Marlboro's. And Jimmy Jaguar, who's our famous mascot, he uh, smoked only camel lights. And all the princesses uh, chew school. Wow, that is really awesome. It's really fun, guys. If you guys want to hear more about Fake Theme Park and hear about more about Murph, uh, you can always check it out in the podcast called The Season Pass. And so that was a really good YouTube highlight clip of the week. YouTube clip of the week. All right, so Andrew is standing by today with our very special VIP in the house. We've got Jason Ginsburg, and also known as Murph from Fake Theme Park. It's a really exciting special episode, guys. I hope you take the time to listen. So take it away, Andrew. This is Andrew, one of the producers of the Coaster Challenge podcast with you today. And today I'm talking to a very special guest, the one, the only, the founder of Fake Theme Park. Welcome to the podcast, Jason Ginsburg. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. It is a pleasure to be here. And I'm glad to have you. You know, I've been a big fan of the work you do with fake theme park you know both the uh in the in the social media verse if you will as well as the work you've done in the pod verse i uh, love the audio stuff that you've done especially with season pass podcast so friends of friends of the podcast here as well we've uh, actually had doug and and robert we've uh, talked to them and and yeah they're they're great people and enjoyed everything you've shared on that podcast so yeah for sure they, for sure they are great sports i have reached out to them myself the first podcast i ever did with fake theme park and it was an, i was still anonymous back then i simply reached out to them and wrote them an email from a fake email account. I gave a fake name. I had to have a burner app. <laughs> they, they took the bit. I mean, God bless them. They actually agreed to who I was, where I was, what they were getting in the deal. Uh, so they, I owe them a lot because they took a big chance by having not just not me on. They had Murph Gantley on, who is crazy. That was, uh, that began a great relationship with them. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was back in what 2013 or so. I think I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight years now, nine years. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay, well, before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's kind of take a take a step back here. So, so Jason, you know, I know who you are, but for the benefit of our audience listening, uh, tell us.
us a bit about yourself and how you've been involved in the theme park industry. Yes, I was a tour guide at Universal Studios Hollywood, my main role there for almost 10 years. So I did that. I was pursuing an acting career. I'd gone to USC and uh, was trying to be an actor and a writer, mostly an actor. And one of the best jobs in, in, in many senses of the word is a tour guide at Universal because they let you leave. They, they assume most of the guides there are some kind of actor or musician or stand-up or something. So you actually can leave on your shift and come back for an audition. It is uh, even oh. with the union, with the, the union that uh, you are oh, part wow. of. So instead of waiting tables, you can do that. So I was doing that. Yes. And uh, so I gave regular tours, the big four-car tram everyone knows is famous. Also the VIP tours, which they still offer now, which are great. They're a little more sort of semi-private on a little trolley. You get to get off the tram and go around, walk around the studio a lot and get one side of the building. It's very cool. I did that a whole lot later on as I got more experience. I hosted the backdraft attraction. I made hmm. announcements out front, the front gates. For one summer, I was even a paleontologist at the Jurassic Park ride. I was actually a oh, wow. in the entertainment oh, nice. for a year. Yeah. Wow. That is, so that was, was all fun. I met my wife there. She's also a former tour guide. I met her in the break room at Universal. Oh, nice. And then I uh, left that job, was at an a uh, agency for a while, and was learning the then-new field of social media. This was about that time when uh, Twitter was just taking off. Facebook had just become a thing. Uh, Facebook, you know, maybe people don't remember, it was just for colleges. First, right. it was just originally, right. right. Colleges. So then it was it just become open. We, we were still on MySpace back then. So I was at an agency doing all the social media. And then uh, after two and a half years, I finally succumbed to the recession, and I had no job. And all the social media experience, the beginning was kind of a new thing, and thought, you know, I could do comedy. I am an actor and a comedy writer and I decided improv and sketch comedy and stuff. I thought no one's really making fun of theme parks. Why don't I make fun of them. And I very early on decided, well, I can't just make fun of Disney or Universal. Wouldn't it be more fun to make up a part? And that way I could say, oh, this burned down. Oh, this fell over. Oh, this character. <laughs> in real life, that, that's not true. You would know it's not true. If I can't do fake Disney headlines. So I made up my own park, unnamed, no locations ever given. And then this was a big time of the year, a big time of Twitter when things were still anonymous. Everything had right. anonymous, fake in the name. So I thought, I'll just do it too. I'll be anonymous. So I was anonymous for many years. So that's how this all began was I had the social media experience universal experience and a lot of free time <laughs> gotcha gotcha interesting yeah well certainly thank you for the, giving that a kind of intro and overview you know certainly we'll talk a lot more about fake theme park and what it was and what it you know what it is and what's going on with it what's happening and whatnot but you know before we get to that we'll talk we're gonna actually talk about you just as a person yourself jason ginsburg and you know along those lines you mentioned that you were for about 10 years you were a tour guide at universal hollywood so you said part of being a tour guide they had the vip side of it but you were also were, were for a while you were one of the people that did the, the um, narration and whatnot on the big tram tour, right? The famous tram tour, there, right? Yep. So that that's really cool. I did not, I knew you were a tour guide at Universal. I remember just hearing about you when I learned about you several years ago, thanks to season pass. But I, I wasn't sure if that was just like the VIP tour side. That's really cool. You've done both. And But anyway, so it's really cool that you did and were a part of for a long time, what I consider to be the best part of Universal Hollywood and what really differentiates it. So that's really cool. So, so, so what we're going to do now is that, you know, I recognize that you've worked in the theme park industry. Obviously you enjoy it and you obviously enjoy humor as well, but let's talk about theme parks a little bit more in terms of what you've enjoyed over the years and your preferences and whatnot. And we'll get into uh, theme park therapy a little bit, of course, which is a big mission of this podcast. First off, let's just start off with a really simple question. Going back to when perhaps you were very young or whenever it was the first time you went to a theme park, what was the first theme park attraction you experienced? 
I, I'll, I'll cheat a bit by not naming any major park because we had something very weird uh, in Dallas. That's where I'm from. That is, doesn't exist anymore, but you can Google this. It was called Penny Whistle Park, and it was <laughs> indoor park. I mean, entirely in like a giant, almost like an airplane hangar in Dallas, I guess East Dallas, was for kids, for little kids. Obviously, as you can imagine, indoor park, things can't be very long, very tall. Uh, so it was, but it was, it was noisy. There was a lot going on. Everything blinked and had flashing lights. So I remember going on things that were just slow, either going around in a circle or so somewhat going up and down, but not, nothing like a coaster. I definitely remember right. going there with my little sister, who's four years younger than me. That was, my, my first memory is definitely that. We were near um, Arlington, but Six Flags, the original Six Flags, as a matter of fact, but none of me, no one in my family, including me, I really like roller coasters. We really didn't go there very often. Right. Go. It was very much a coaster park. Right. So of course. That's my first experience. Penny Whistle Park in Dallas. Penny Whistle Park. Interesting. Anything at all. Yeah. Interesting. Next thing I'd like to ask you about is. Now, this could be a roller coaster you've been on, because I know you're not a big fan of those, so I, I know those probably intimidate you then. Could be a, you know, a drop ride, could be like a Tower of Terror, it could be a dark ride, it could be, you know, it's a small world, because, you know, that scares a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people don't want to go on that uh, for other reasons. It could be whatever it, whatever it may be. Tell us what ride from Penny Whistle Park, when you, your first park you went to, to today, what ride scared you the most so far in your life? I think I really hadn't, hadn't been at Six Flags that much. The real first big major park I went to when I was 15, uh, my high school did uh, what my uh, singing group, we call it like high school chorals, uh, went to Magic Music Days at Disneyland. So we all actually flew out there. And so I was there the first time in Disneyland as a 15-year-old with just a bunch of my classmates. And I didn't really know didn't know the rides. I wasn't sure if I knew what I liked and didn't like. So we went to Space Mountain. I remember the whole time uh -huh. thinking like, well, this is sort of indoors. It People were assuring me it wasn't that big of a deal. And I thought, well, and it's, it's not, I like science fiction. I like space. What, what, what is it? What could it possibly be? And it was not pleasant. I mean, it was for me. I wouldn't say for anybody else. It is right. you know, dark. You really can't see what's going on. Uh, but back then, you couldn't. So I wasn't really sure. I was sort of being just jerked around, having no idea where it was going to end because you can't really see. You know, it's not like a linear, as far as I can tell. I don't know what it was. I still picture it being almost like this round thing that just goes round and round and round. So dark in there. So after that was over, that it was one of the first things we did. And that colored the whole rest of my trip because I didn't want to go on things with them. I was oh. very well, now I was reading all the warnings on everything. Nothing is really, I'm not sure at that time was as bad. It may have been the absolute worst thing to ride first. So I, now I had, because now I knew I didn't like that. Now I had confirmation that right. that was going to make me miserable. So I didn't, I did eventually break off on my own and just do my own thing or try to do smaller things like Haunted Mansion or this small world that are you know, had, there's no speed in them at all. And there's plenty of that at Disneyland. It really, really is. There's only a few at that time, real crazy rides, Space Mountain. Right. Stopped me forever, but it was, that was one that I did not, yeah, the whole time I just was sort of felt nauseous. So now, first of all, you didn't know before getting on the ride that it was a roller coaster, right? You didn't really know what it was about. I, mean, I thought it was some kind of, yeah, it was a coaster that wouldn't, or what a roller coaster really even meant to me because I'd not really been on them enough to know I didn't like them. <laughs> yeah, right. I, my friends hadn't gone on them. My, my family was not a coaster family. So I was sort of thought, well, it's indoors and it's it's like, it's science fiction. So it can't be too fast. It must be some kind of story or you stop or something halfway through. And, but no, it was it's a roller coaster in the dark is what it is. And uh, Right, yeah, right. Not, not good. Okay. Yeah. And then... It also, even once you're on it, because it's a very dark ride, as you pointed out, it, you know, I've certainly been on, I'm on Space Mountain there at Disneyland, and, and yeah, you can't really see where you're going. So when we talk about fear, the interviews I've done here in this podcast, and just being a theme park and coaster enthusiast, the common fears, especially in this area, are things like fear of heights, fear of going upside down. You know, maybe a fear of going fast or, or breaking changes in, in for, any kind of forces and things like that. 
But what we haven't talked a lot about, but it would correct me if I'm wrong, is once you were on the ride, it sounds like the fear you were dealing with was the fear of the unknown, right? Yeah, I, I could not. I, I definitely, I, all these years later, not knowing what was happening. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess is a thrill for other coaster fans. It's something new to experience. And for me, it's basically my first real ride. Maybe the worst thing to pick because you don't even know when it's going to end or, what, or what's around the corner, what's something is going to level out for a while, or we have a giant drop ahead. So it's really thrilling to not know but for me it was horrible to not know right absolutely i totally get that and you know, kind of something that goes along with that is a lot of people if you were to do a poll you know on social media or in person and ask people even perhaps coaster enthusiasts if you were to ask them how fast is space mountain at disneyland go you would get people saying oh gosh yeah oh 60 miles an hour oh 70 miles an hour it's just like price is right they'd all be going over uh, <laughs> space mountain goes it's i think it's roughly about 40 miles an hour it, or it might be slower than that it's very slow but because it's so dark in there your mind is filling in the things the pieces that are missing and your mind is interpreting that you're going much faster and this is why and i, I know you're not in coaster enthusiast yourself jason but you know i and a lot of our fans are and we i am uh, you know again here in florida it gets dark earlier anywhere in the country anywhere in the world for that matter earlier it gets dark for coaster enthusiasts the better when they're at a theme park because we all crave the the dark the night ride if you will on an outdoor coaster and why is that because you know, sometimes outdoor theming can pop out more, like on a on Velocicoaster. But a, the big reason is because the rides, the coasters, they feel like they're going faster than they are. There's that interpretation and element that, you know, your mind is filling in there. So let's, let's kind of step through a couple of things here. So you didn't necessarily know what this ride was or wasn't. And this is, you know, we, and we've talked about this with other guests in the show. A lot of coasters are outside, but Disneyland, even Universal, you know, there's a number of coasters that are inside. And with the indoor ones, when you're in the queue, you don't know what's going on. You don't see the ride. That's your situation with Space Mountain. You're, you know, delving, you're heading down into the mountain there. So talk to me, what was going through your head that you remember at 15 years old as you were, you know, walking through the queue? Like, were you nervous? Were you wondering what was going on? What was going to happen? I, mu I must have been because I hadn't thought that I had not been on roller coasters with Arlington so close to growing up in Dallas, I, I believe. So I can't quite remember that that part of the experience. Since then, I do get nervous in queues, even for things that are that I know are going to be okay even, even not maybe not simulators which i are i can ride all day but things that right. me i've recently rode like uh, transformers at universal i've not been back right. i live in new york now so even that just these like being in a queue and going i know and there's all you know these days there's so many warnings and you can still you can watch the videos on youtube and watch the whole the whole track and read all kinds of reviews people it's wonderful now that people do put up reviews people, people do have kids and say can i hit my kid on this what am i going to experience if i don't like these eight different things but even so just that that there's something about that queue system that is i'm not sure i'm into once you get strapped in uh i shouldn't say you but it been in the first person uh, it is a helpless feeling of just whatever this thing right. is there's no stopping. You can't beg whoever, you know, if you're, whether your mom is in the seat next to you or your wife, no one's helping you. No one's going right. to stop the ride for you. That's the thing is there's no way it, it's, there's no way to know that it's too late. Once they, once you're in, you're in. Uh, right. You're it, which is not yeah. a big experience. So yeah, still to this day when I'm in, in just regular queues, it's going, I'm not sure what I'm in for. Unless I, unless I really do know. If it's something, that's right. show, something like Terminator or something like that, that is just, there's no way this is going to be. Uh, for me, it's really speed and drops. And speed and drops are the issue for you. Okay. Simulators all day. Simulators, you're not really moving. 
simulators, but there's something about that I can tell that we're not really going anywhere. So simulators right. of any kind, I much prefer those. Okay, I uh, see. You're not really going anywhere. How, how can you I get see. You're not going upside down or anything? Yeah. Right. So are you okay, for example, on uh, uh, Wizarding World or Forbidden Journey ride? I was surprised that I was. Yeah, I mean, a big, big deal to do that at my last trip to Universal and was, yes, mostly okay. It was kind of thrilling after a while once I got used to what was going to happen. But I did a lot of research. Oh, man. I watched every right. video of that. I'm like, here it is with the lights on. I read every possible review that was, would I like this? And it seemed like it's on a, anything is controlled on a, whatever that's called, a track, light transformers, right. like Spider-Man, where you are on uh, yes. uh, Indiana Jones. You're not just flying. Well, you're on some kind of... <laughs> old track so knowing that you can't go too fast or drop too far is it is a big thing for me so those are totally fine those kind of rides that's good that's good yeah and and and, and in all seriousness you know with modern technology and with the variety of different types of rides that that technology and you know creatives at you know universal creative or imagineering or elsewhere you know it, it really helps people like yourself and others with similar issues to have enjoyable rides that can be thrilling but in an enjoyable way and that's why i brought up forbidden journey because it, you know that is a little bit more of a thrilling based dark ride you know, usually dark rides are not necessarily a high thrill so you know so you know that would be why i was wondering about that now Going back to Space Mountain, so you're seeing the warning signs, and of course, there's a lot of legalese on those. They're going to put a lot of things on there just in case and whatnot, and you're not seeing the ride. But now, what happens when you're, you know, you get to the bottom as you're kind of winding around and you're, you know, looking down? Now you can see it's a, it's a something on a track, and now you're starting to. What are, what are you thinking now when you see what the ride vehicles look like and what they're on? Yeah, I think it was just a matter of well, I'm in now. I'm not gonna. It's still it's still worth trying it because if people keep saying as you were saying. Like, it's not that fast. We're on the slower right. coasters, and it's indoors, so you can't go be going too high or anything. So I thought, I thought, thought, well, let's. I guess I had not. I did not know for sure that I hated these things. Let's see. Now is the time when all my friends are having seem to be enjoying it. Why shouldn't I? I why how how why why would I be different than all the other fifteen right. year olds I'm with? Apparently, I was because yeah, whenever it was not fun. Right. So you could have towards the end there when you saw the ride vehicle and the track, you could have you know as they say wimped out. But you decided, you know, hey, I feel committed. I'm going to try this. How bad could it be? Blah, blah, blah. And then you described what the experience was like going through the ride. Talk to me and get a little more detail about how you felt once you got off Space Mountain after that first ride. Yeah, I don't know if there was any sort of feeling of triumph so much as I was I right. was so that yeah it was more exhaustion i think i didn't throw up i wasn't i wasn't crying or anything it was just uh, i did not not that i brushed that off so easily if you want to cry cry but uh yeah i was just sure. more like more kind of like upset and sort of disoriented that i'd gone through that and thought well there's more of this this is disney you know, this is supposed to be disneyland this <laughs> my first time ever being there i thought i don't want to be with these people making me get on rides anymore that's why at some point went off on my own and this either really? all the other things there was to do that were not roller coaster which again at that point i really thought about it there weren't that many things flash mountain maybe matterhorn which is sort of, but i i don't know why i but i just was like i don't this is not fun you're, and if they want to go on again, well, then when what do I do? So it's time to just go off on my own. It's still Disneyland. It's still a fun experience. Even you are on your own. I eventually met up with people later on. But uh, yeah, that was, it was a feeling of, yeah, that was just, I'm glad it's over. Right. Yeah. So a little bit kind of almost temporary scarring for you. And you, you, like you, you, you know, here at this family friendly theme park, the most family friendly theme park out there. And you felt almost betrayed and like, oh, you know, how could this happen? And so, but it sounds like you had maybe some fun that day. You know, you did your own thing. You met up with people later, but you know, certainly there was some negativity to it. So, have you been on any roller coasters since then? No, I've been okay. on some 
drop rides like Jurassic Park at my home theme park where I work. Yeah. I've been on that once, but uh, into an actual coaster of any kind, I guess the closest thing I would be something like, like Forbidden Journey. Right outside of that, Universal is yeah. whatever that coaster is called. You know, it was a kid's coaster. The wife did it and not me. And I can see that it was not, okay. Okay. It was not a fast, crazy. That's right. a, Universal's not, there's no room for those big things. But even then I thought, no, Forbidden Journey is about my speed. That's it for me. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, hey, at least you learned, you know, Space Mountain that, you know, you you don't like coasters, you don't like the drops and the speed and all that. That totally, that makes sense. And again, that's, that's totally understandable. Absolutely. So have you, okay, maybe that is the most fearful experience for you. <laughs> and and again, you've not gone on other coasters and that's, that makes sense. And that's probably just as well for you. But, you know, other attractions out there, is there any other attractions since riding Space Mountain that you did ride that you were afraid of? You know, the unknown or getting on it. Maybe you did do look at the videos in advance, but you were still somewhat scared where there was a positive experience out of it when you actually rode the ride. Uh, yeah, the thing that comes to mind, to be honest, I mean, because we're talking about it, is, is Forbidden Journey. So I was so, okay, was yeah. I was so right. trepidatious about it and almost researched ahead of time. I was, it was all new at Universal. We had not been since Wizarding World had opened. I said, we, my wife and I, we wanted to go on it. So yes, that was the one that I thought, this is, this seems like you're not flying around like a coaster. Let's, let's try this. And that when it was over, I thought, yeah, that was, I could, I could do that. At the first, it was a little much. I'm still the idea of like being in a, in a harness. So it is, right. you're around. You have no control. That helplessness really, really gets to me that I have no way. There's no way to, you can't slow it down, stop, adjust yourself in any way to, Right. Oh, close your eyes. Close your eyes and yell, I guess. I'm a big fan of dragons. And once the dragon appeared, it came at us, I thought, okay, this is this is just within my limit. Okay. So that was, that was good. We almost would have done it again if we had had time. The universe was open so little in the off season, like 10 to 6. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to ask you if it would be a ride that you'd want to do again. So that's great to hear that you would. Yeah, so, I think so, okay, so that was a good positive experience. It's almost like that was a ride almost made for you. The theming of it, you know, the dragon, it was, it's a big aspect of it. The dragon's, you know, part of several parts of the of the, of the ride. And just the, the the level of thrill, it's like, it's just what, what you feel comfortable with. It's at that limit where anything more would be too much. and Anything less would be still enjoyable, but maybe not as thrilling. So it's kind of like your your Goldilocks ride almost in a way. <laughs> I, I, I you know? that, yeah, yeah. I guess I believe before it used to be it was three D, and that that was too much yeah. They got rid of the three. Yeah, that's yeah. Where that where I need to be. Yeah, and the one in Orlando does not have 3D. I don't believe it ever did, and I'm I personally am not a big fan of 3D rides. Especially during COVID, with the masks, the the, the glasses fog up, and it's just yeah. I just like being able to see things without anything in front of me. But in any case, but so talk to me about having ridden Forbidden Journey and had a really nice positive experience on that one. Did that impact your life in any way? Have you kind of looking at theme parks differently, life differently in any way from that? It it, it was nice to ride something that was not either just, just a simulator. <laughs> one thing, right. Always on the ground, like Indiana Jones for that one drop at the end. Drops say Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't like. I don't know how far those drops. Oh, actually really? Okay. Top, I never enjoy. But it kind of ruins the. It doesn't. Ruin, I mean, it'd be a perfect ride if it weren't for those. I don't know why you have to keep right. dropping. I understand the ride has to be built that way, but yeah, I don't. If we could only not have those drops, it'd be perfect. Yeah. It's nice and slow, and it's very cool. It's just all this cool theming and the music. It really, it's not a thrill ride. So what are the drops for? Right. Uh, that, it was. It was cool to have gone on that after, after all the preparation I did because it's only a couple of years ago that I survived it. And was right. 
that I enjoyed it and we thought about it. Could we even maybe do it again if we went with, with everything else in Universal? Yeah, that was nice to know that there maybe is a level out there beyond just simulators and the real slow things that I could do. I'm not sure what is like that. But now if someone does like in something to Forbidden Journey, I go, oh, okay, I know what level that is. And, and I will, before I go on anything, I will go to the internet and look things up because it's all there. Plenty of people like me or people with kids, or people with various disabilities want to read this stuff and the theme parks are putting it out there or at least the reviewers are the yelpers of the world are so i will that takes away the um the the unknown factor of it i think you do, you're not sure what you're getting into you know what you're getting into they describe every right. single thing about it all the drops the speed people ask all kinds of questions so i do like that that i will never be in a line going what is this again and all, all the signs say it's fast and heart conditions and pregnant women what does that mean a lot of things say pregnant women, you know, with the simulators, Back to the Future ride would say that, but you're not, for what? Because there's a restraint, you're not going anywhere, you're hardly, hardly moving. So you, I can't even trust those, really, because everything is sort of, I think, over, you know, over cautious. I will just, yeah, I'll go to the internet and then not assume everything is too fast and too scary. <laughs> right. Okay, well, very good. So going beyond you know these rides ones that you like ones that are too much for you and you know you're kind of figuring out what works and you've done your research which is really good i'm glad that you do that just theme parks in general you've worked in them you've enjoyed them have, have theme parks in general had any kind of significant positive impact on your life and on you in any other any ways uh, well beyond working in one and having a great time the, yeah the, the colors that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of universal as is a wife forever we have posters up in the house um, nice parking around kind of retro vintage things and beyond that <laughs> uh i if anything looking back one of the coolest things that I, I've ever experienced was the original Star Tours in that, that same trip. Oh, it yeah. Opened, it had recently opened when I was there at, at 15. So the fact that you could take a, a Star Wars ride, even though we look back now and go, it was all models. It was so, you know, it was so clearly how it was shot. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't CGI or anything. It was not maybe not the best iteration of Star Wars. This is 1987 technology. Right. So right. that, that was just my, that, I love that. I go that whenever I can do it. I have not yet written the, the new version, which I'm sure is a thousand times better with all the different movies now. That original one of like, there's a Star Wars ride that I can ride. That I have no right. problem screaming around me. And it's just like, we're just kind of tilting. Right. Know? No drops. I can, this is totally fine. So it was great in every possible way. But you're flying in space. It's Star Wars. You're hearing the music. Everyone is scared but me. That that uh, was still a great experience, uh, I say. So, yeah, made me love simulators. Nice. Yeah, and that was the first of the big, modern, you know, realistic simulators. Of course, that was, you know, what led to Back to the Future and, and others and whatnot. So that was the same trip. So you obviously did that later in the day after Space Mountain. So that maybe was a very positive part of that trip versus space mountain being the negative part right yeah absolutely okay i'm glad you had a nice positive ride experience <laughs> that's great that's great so speaking of rides that you enjoy jason so what would you say now obviously it's not gonna be a coaster and that's fine you know what would you say your favorite theme park attraction is it could be a show it could be forbidden journey what you know what is your favorite theme park attraction of all time well again i i forgive me but i have such such a love for the studio tour i'm at both both first as a guest and then oh, uh, sure. I first rode on that first trip to LA because I had never been to LA before. And then and then as a, someone who actually was given the tour on the big tram and on the trolley and you know been attacked by a shark four times a day for many years. Uh, <laughs> probably my wife. How could I not love this? And it's and in fact that it is real. You know, I will defend as you say, Universal Orlando is superior in so many ways. Universal Hollywood is the oldest operating studio in the world. It is the actual studio when I get to walk on the sets of the VIP tour, it still thrilled me. I would you know, I took guests VIP tours for most of my time there, eight years or so. It was still a thrill for me every time you know right. I was 
where it's like them walking around those sets. Uh, going dating back to the old Moss movies in the 30s and the Back to the Future Court Alice Square. This is this blew me away. Never mind the guess. It is you are so the things are paid like the shark is obviously there for the tour, but the sets are real, even though they've been rebuilt by various fires. So you're driving through real film history, you're learning something, you're also having fun with the shark attack and King Kong. It's it, 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 it was interesting. It it would transcend language. You know, everyone yeah. knew everyone knows Jaws. We had pl plenty of, of, of uh, Asian guests there on the West Coast. People all yeah, different yeah. speaking every kind of language. Everyone loved this stuff. Uh, and in different generations, people knew Cordell Square from To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, people knew right. film all over the place. There more than Psycho. Say, yeah. 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 yeah, some of the more recent. It was interesting seeing what people connected with. There was always something. You know, hundred years. Right. So yeah, I can talk this thing up forever. Um, you know, I was a film student. Uh, sure. It really is a different kind of, of ride entirely. And as you say, nothing like it anywhere else. It is the real studio. It began, the whole, the whole theme park began with that tour. There was no park. Uh, yeah. Now the park, eating the studio, eating the sound stages, which I, I think is unfortunately, but if you want more rides like Transformers, that's what you got to do is tear down historic sound stages to put them there. So yeah, yeah I really do love that ride. And again, it's for everyone, for all ages. It can be, it can be scary. Uh, little kids with King Kong and things like that, and even with Earthquake, which is kind of intense. The flood. And, you're, not and, yeah. fast, you're not falling. Nothing really happens. You can spray with water. There's no right. rice. It's like a haunted house or anything. So good for all ages. You can eat on the train. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you could sleep if you want to nap. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, maximize your time on those ten to six days in January. Right. So eat on the tram because you right. Yes, yeah, so that is my. I gotta say, my favorite attraction for all these reasons and more. Yeah, no, that, that that's totally understandable. And like I said earlier, I think that is the best thing at Universal Hollywood. And you know, and Disney, they tried to replicate that when they first opened Hollywood Studios. And for years, they had their own tour, and I've done it several times. And even with the Disaster Canyon, it, it's not the same it, it, it was it was i you know i love to see the golden girls house i'm a big fan of the golden girls classic show it's such a great comedy great one of the greatest sitcoms of all time and you know and seeing the cars they had there and stuff you know it was cool but you know the same thing I, i've been to disney studios paris they used to have that there too and you know they also had disaster canyon there and again it, it's not it's not universal it's it disney does certain things better than universal at least historically they have maybe not so much anymore but you know one area that they do not eclipse universal is with the tram tour the hollywood tram tour is very special to me as well and i can very much relate and you know as you pointed out you know universal hollywood is very starved for space and they they recently bought not adjacent to the existing universal studios property in hollywood but a few miles away i, I want to say it's an old wb lot or some other lot a film lot with sound stages and what apparently they're going to be doing is moving some of their productions to those sound stages that way they can replace the sound stations they're taking away. But I certainly hope, as much as I'm a fan of thrill rides and coasters and all that stuff, I really hope that Universal Hollywood never gets rid of the outdoor sets, you know, the streets of New York and, you know, and the great set with the airplanes, you know, from War of the Worlds, you know, the Tom Cruise world, version of the World Worlds and the Psycho House and, you know, all the, all that, those classic set pieces, you know, suburban America, you know, all that stuff. I hope they keep those because those are so special. Hopefully, you know, with they, at least getting rid of the sound stages, moving to different ones off, off site, that'll be sufficient for them to give them enough space to expand. So I think I know the answer already to this next question. I'll ask you it nonetheless. What is your least favorite theme park attraction that you've been on? Yeah, I would, Face Mountain certainly was not anything I particularly enjoyed. I don't think anything else that was 
particularly. I don't, I'm not a fan of haunted houses. So I've done a oh. little bit of that. Um, Universal's had them both, both permanently for a while and then only just for Halloween Horror Nights, but I was there right. for Halloween Horror Nights. So yeah, with the idea of walking through something and having people drive out and scare you, I don't, I know some people just that live for that and I do not see the appeal. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, the, set, the sets are cool. Seeing scary things happening like on the set is one thing, but people behind you jumping out of you or the people at chainsaws, that's not fun. So, right. It's not for not everybody. Fun. Yeah. I can, uh, yes, I'm glad we agree. So there's a being right. that doing those sort of things, but the universal ones, even ones back in, back in Texas, it was occasionally and think, this is not, what is the fun of this? Is being scared. Uh, right. Fun for, fun for me. Got it. So I know you're not into horror, <laughs> but I know one thing you are into is comedy. So let's uh, switch gears here. And let's, uh, let's talk about something else uh, special. Uh, let's talk about fake theme park. Big fan. That's how you and I came to came to know each other. But again, you know, we have our audience here, so we don't want to assume that they know anything about Fake Theme Park. Let's let's talk. Let's dig into it. So first of all, how long ago did you actually start Fake Theme Park? You know, the, on the social media side and all that was first. And and what inspired you to start it? Uh, it was summer of 2010. I will I will date myself there. So this is kind of coming out of the recession when I had uh, for a while no job, but I just finished up at a agency where we were in LA, so working with some entertainment properties and doing making like videos and posts sort of viral marketing back then on social media so i learned i right. hadn't had not learned twitter until i was there i had a personal myspace page we were still working on myspace and then facebook while i was there facebook became available to the public right. earning facebook back when there were walls and poking walls and things like that but our clients were big like paramount and home shopping network and, and big names like that so i had learned those skills i had been doing comedy i was in the improv troupe at usc i went through second city hollywood in la uh we formed the some of the alumni from the improv troupe at usc formed a professional sketch troupe we played clubs around la and even made some money here and there so i was doing comedy and realized there there was pairs, there was comedy happening on Twitter, but nobody was making fun of theme parks. There was no real satire of, of Disney or Universal or any, anything in general. And I thought, well, I have this insider knowledge as both a fan and an employee of uh, various parts of the park. My wife went into management for a while before she left. I've seen all aspects of it, management, unions, guests, employees. Uh, I can make fun of this uh, on Twitter and get get attention and get, you know, get, get some kind of comedy writing. My The thing that was uh, guiding me probably foolishly was, if I can say this that my dad says uh, <laughs> the twitter account that based on you know a real guy's father saying crazy things supposedly right that became a book the book became a sitcom with william shatner so that was a direct line from funny twitter account to having a tv show so i thought well maybe that's a thing maybe that's something that's possible like these get attention or get work right. comedy writing online every day so i launched this account i learned that it make more sense to make a fictional park i could just do whatever i wanted making my own character right. my own rides and things and they would all be it's a combination of all the parks so this fake theme park which has no name has coasters has princesses has a backlot tour has killer whales all put together in one crazy place things are always going wrong and sort of the conceit of it that i think is i think makes it stand out is not only is it the general it matches the tone back then and the the cheerful exclamation points of disney everything was so happy and cheerful with disney's twitter back in those days a little more snarky now i think it's trying to match universal so it had all those <laughs> things that you expect to to the public but also it made announcements to its employees that were incorrectly public. So it was talking to cast members, as I called them, thinking that was the most obvious uh, analog. Right. 
So there are all kinds of announcements kind of like from HR to the employees of what they're doing, right. wrong, what they're doing what's happening. And there's raccoons running a muck in the park, things like that. <laughs> all these aspects of this is insanity happening of both the sort of the facade of everything's fine to also here's what's happening behind the scenes, naming employees, you know, times. Right. Cast member, things are going wrong. So that was it. So I began doing it anonymously every day, multiple posts a day, and I, and I, which I have kept up uh, ever since. Every li literally, not metaphorically, literally every single day since I think July 10th, uh, 2010. Wow. Now, were you, and I know eventually, more recently, a couple of years ago, you actually wrote a book and, and published the book, which which you shared with me. And thank you again for sharing that with me. And that's a lot of the best, the Twitter posts and the Facebook, all the social media, like the, you know, all these little th funny things you put out there. But even before the book, were you actually generating revenue with fake theme park? No, it's just Twitter. It was just for fun. Twitter and Facebook. Okay. Occasionally, was spending money on things like ads. Right. <laughs> but yeah, there's so no way beyond the books. There's no okay. way to uh, yeah. There's no website where I would had ads or any kind of Amazon deal or anything like that. Right. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And you know, I have to say, I mean, who doesn't love humor? I mean, yeah, some people don't like horror movies or or haunt events like you were just talking about. But I, I think you'd be really hard pressed to find someone that doesn't love humor. In fact, I would say humor is one of those things that universally, you know, unites all of us on this planet. Is you know, humor can mean all different languages. There can be language less humor, where it's just you know, visual. You know, some of the things in the tram tour and whatnot, things like that. Uh, so you know, humor is so important. You know, we talk about in the mission of our podcast uh, about you know things like theme park therapy fighting anxiety depression fear you know a lot of negativity of the human psyche one of the the best things as they say laughter is the best medicine is humor and so you've been a source of a lot of that i i think especially in twitter and, and social media some of the corporations that are you know very large on social media uh you know you, you, they've gotten more wise to things and also even besides social media commercials you know the best commercials the super bowl commercials the best ones are the funny ones you know that's usually the ones that stand out. You know, some sometimes the nostalgic ones or the the, the sappy ones; those can stand out too. But the, the really the comedic, the funny ones. But also on the social media side, the some of the Twitter accounts, uh, Silver Dollar City is known known for this. But most recently, and much to my joy as being a big Universal fan, is the Universal. Uh, accounts both the Hollywood and especially Orlando. And I just, you know, what was it yesterday before we're recording here? I saw the, some of one of the funniest things and actually screenshot it and shared it on my social media. And I saw people then were sharing and, and so forth. And actually, I'd come to remember now the person, originally the way I saw this was not on Twitter. My friend Ian, friend of the show, he's actually been a guest on the show here. He's one of the co-hosts of the uh, Theme Park Stop or Park Stop podcast, Ian Kaufman. He shared it with me. He's a big Universal fan. So that's how I saw that originally. It was Universal Hollywood was poking at Universal Orlando, again, PR accounts. And Hollywood said, imagine if your park only had one level, SMH, smack my head. And they were just begging for it because Universal Orlando responds, Imagine if you only had one park, smack my head. <laughs> and I mean, just, I was dying. I mean, it's just so funny. And I love that camaraderie and the competition with the two of them. And, you know, it's just so good. So, you know, humor is just so great in social media and commercials and movies and TV shows and, and you know, life. We play fun card games like Cards Against Humanity and, you know, things like that. It's humor is so important. And Fake Theme Park was a source of humor very early on in in social media days, you know, 2010, like you said, 
You know, a lot of people didn't have Twitter accounts, Facebook accounts quite quite yet. Everyone was getting new to it. Facebook had only recently opened up, like you said, to the public. And here you are doing humor where no one else is doing humor about theme parks. If, if we go, if we step forward a few years, as we talked about earlier when, we, when I first introduced you, you wound up taking it from a social media only, a text-based format, and got into audio. So talk about what propelled you to do that, how that worked. Yeah, I thought, well, I uh, have a background in performing. I was, I have a degree in theater. I was trying to be an actor, which is why I was at Universal. I did improv a lot and sketch comedy. And I thought there might be a way to perform this somehow. I already have this character. I mean, I couldn't be a princess. That'd be the most obvious thing. I, mean, <laughs> I have a version of Mickey Mouse called Jimmy Jaguar. Again, that doesn't really work in audio, I don't think. I'm not going to do a funny voice for... 45 minutes. But there's the CEO, the founder and CEO, who is sort of my version of Walt Disney or Carl Lemley, uh, called Murph Gantley. Yes. Just bonkers old. He's sort of somewhere between like Mr. Burns and P.T. Barnum and Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> all kind of all put together, uh, who's just a cantankerous old guy and thought, well, I could play him. I could sort of do that voice and be him and just say and that, that way I can say anything. I say all kinds of things. It's almost like, you know, being Groucho Marx or Don Rickles or I'll pick an insult comic today that still exists, but uh, I can just be crazy because and make fun of everything. So, but still defend my park as being the best in the world. That was my opportunity. So I, I cold, I was, I looked at various podcasts. I liked season pass and I emailed them out of nowhere. Fake theme park Gmail account. My name was not on it. I wrote as the, like a marketing, I had a fake name too. Um, Freddie Benson that I used that I was my, yes. uh, the, the, just the, that was like the, the assistant for Mr. Gantley speaking, writing on yes. his behalf. Could we speak to you? And, uh, I got to give it a hand to, uh, to Doug and Bob, I guess, and Robert that they agreed to this, to have me on, not knowing anything about me, except, except the Twitter or Facebook account, but had not heard me before so i came on um still trying to be anonymous as was the style back then and was like of course i kept it going i always wanted to keep it going people kept guessing trying to guess who i was or what park i worked at <laughs> former employee by this point so i thought well I'll just you know i don't want to break the mystique and say i'm just some guy but that's why i was living in new york so it wasn't even near any parks or anything so i thought i'll just keep the mystique and the mystery going that's that'll be fun so i had a got a burner app on my phone so i had a an orlando area code even though i'm not a burner app you so yeah i just called in and was this crazy cantankerous guy saying crazy things and they and they were a fantastic audience because twitter although you do get shares and retweets and likes and comments and things you can't hear people laugh and as they performed right. i didn't miss that people certainly appreciated it and would say so and would you know those little heart symbols and stars and things mean something but to hear these guys laughing off me improvising Improvising in right. like, well, this is, I've come full circle. <laughs> I'm being a writer. I'm back to being a performer now, improvising for an audience of two and hoping people that were listening, like you, uh, were liking it. Yeah, that was a bold, and I began doing more after that. Even after I revealed myself, people liked Murph Gantley more than me because <laughs> I'm just a guy. <laughs> I would yeah, he's a say, yeah, he's a caricature. He's truly he's, a caricature. a lot more yeah. fun as a guest, I'll say. For yeah. the listener, for me, it's a very exhausting... <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. Um, yeah. Know, pardon me, but being funny and being clever does take some energy. It's not so natural. Yes. So I would often I get to the point where I do I would do two appearances. Well, be uh, you know Jason Ginsburg come on and then I would leave the room. Murph Cantley would come in. <laughs> so I did a lot of those where I was both. Uh, it's nice to be having right. me on just myself today um, and not Murph can just sit corner for a while. Yeah, well we'll talk about where Murph is later. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. But uh, and just for the audience. So and by the way, um, Jason. I want you to know a couple things. So I have shared 
the certainly the first appearance of you and NF Murph and, and Freddie uh, on season pass back in 2013. I've shared that episode with many friends. Oh. I've played it for friends in the car when we're on the way to the theme park, friends visiting or local friends, and everyone loves it and everyone's cracking up. And so, and and I'm certainly I will I will make sure with David that we link to all of your season pass podcasts because again we're we're good friends with those guys and, and Doug and and Robert you know of course and also Dusty Sage uh, we're good friends with him as well um and, you know with the mice pod and mice chat which season passes under and uh you know we're happy to help support those guys so we'll make sure to put links to the various appearances that you had on season pass in our show notes and you know i know you were also in another podcast that i'm sure of course is very much resonant with you because you're a comedian the theme park side is uh, uh is a podcast the ride um you know with mike mike scott and uh, jason jason sheridan in that case not Ginsburg, of course and i did listen to your your appearance on there and that was great i, I think your best work in terms of the podcast, the audio stuff was with the season pass. It was just great. Yeah, so, they're a good audience. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're great guys. And they're kickback kind of guys. They're not too stodgy. And it was a perfect audience, as you said, for you to get started with that. I've listened to that first appearance, 2013, many times. Like you said, it's the one that starts with Freddie. And Freddie is kind of this sort of nerdy, sort of he's not very confident in himself. You know, he knows that they really want to talk to Murph and he doesn't want to be on the on, on the recording. He wants to get off as soon as possible so Murph can be there. He gets Murph piped in and all that. So you're telling me that all of this, the way this all started, Doug and Robert and all that, they did not know that this was fake. They, they, they did not know that this was... Well, they didn't know who I was. They knew, I mean, the Twitter account is called Fake Theme Park. So oh, okay, so they knew no about way. Fake Theme Park, yeah, right. They, they didn't know who I was at all in terms of, yeah, you know, I think they may have, I'm not sure if they asked my identity and I said, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. Okay, okay. Later on, where they finally pressed me on it. But yeah, at first it was just me cold, just emailing them out of the blue saying, can I be on your podcast and be just being funny? <laughs> the email itself was funny and that helped convince them. What role would you say Fake Theme Park had or has had in the theme park social media community and the, and the podverse? You know, with these various appearances, like what, what do you think it's done? Yeah, and I've been, been on a lot of blogs as well. Easy to interview yeah. me by Mice Chat, uh, for example. So, uh, yeah, I think it is. It, there have been other, and there still are other humorous theme park uh, accounts, as as there should be. It's funny to make fun of beyond my experience. <laughs> People who have been there more recently or who are still employees. I, I thought I was writing for the general audience. I thought everyone knew Disney and the Universal Tour and things like that. What I have found was that it really resonates with employees, both former uh, and current. Uh, it seems like we're big on Facebook. People tag each other and are saying and talking about things in the, in the present tense using codes and internal terms that I sort of recognize in various parks. It, it seems like it's become a an outlet for those people, <laughs> which right. is not my intent. But it does make sense as it comes from a place that I, of, of knowledge. If I can make their lives and better certainly they have i mean you know i know the working theme park is not digging ditches but uh, being out of the heat environment that is loud it can be challenging you know being being friendly to people can be tough so finding any kind of joy in it that's great i i meant it to be for everyone so i could be on you know, have my own tv show it works with them that i'm i'm serving some kind of purpose the therapy they need comedy is a great medicine it's great for the soul it's great to laugh so that's awesome i never thought about it before that your work helped those people that's yeah awesome. to my own horn it really does seem to resonate with them based on looking at Facebook and Twitter. And it comes, I hope they know this, man, man, and if your listeners don't, I'll just say it out flat out. It comes from a place of love. This is like, 
my favorite attraction. What did, what did I tell you? I, I saw the craziness of it. I saw it from all sides. I saw it from the employees themselves, certainly from management, certainly from the corporations owning these parks, from the unions. So that it's equal opportunity. Like there's no agenda. This is not of like course. if you are anyone's worried about what kind of humor this is. I don't think rarely anyone said you've gone too far. In a half years and 11 years, has someone said that? Yes. Over something ridiculous? Yes. And I do go, I say I've, I've tweeted every day, there have been some dark days in America over the last 11 years, but often those bad things happen later in the day and the tweet already went out in the morning. So I can right. stop day, and I already got a tweet out. So I still have my record of doing it every single day, but even I know when to stop. I would not tweet at every single moment if there was something bad happening. I, I'm, I'm no one, I have a social media professional background. You know, I don't offend easily with humor and whatnot, but you know, some people do and that's right, wrong or indifferent. We're not going to judge that here, but you know, it's good that you have that professional background to kind of be able to kind of skirt things because with the nature of the humor of fake theme park, whether it be the written humor in social media or the, or the audio form. And it's good that you kind of ride that balance there. And, and, and yeah, I, you know, like you said, I could tell it comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of passion, positive passion, you know, what you've come up with. And for the listeners of our podcast here, they're I'm sure probably very starting to get curious about what this fake theme park is and, and want to learn about it. And like I said, so Jason, we've already talked about a little bit, of course, and how could we not talk about Faint Theme Park without talking about Murph? But tell me, in the, in the 10 plus years you've been you know, doing Fake Theme Park, you've obviously gotten to know Murph well. And what would you say is the most surprising thing that you've learned about Murph Gantley over these 10 plus years? <laughs> um, great question. You know, this is like asking Daniel Day-Lewis about the characters he's inhabited over the years. <laughs> Really a part of me. He, I, <laughs> wow. He, I guess he's adaptable. He certainly has figured out any way to monetize the park and various parts of the park. So even I meant closing down for the pandemic, because that would mean that when it reopened, it'd be more valuable and more precious to people. Would be flocking when the gates open, <laughs> when to reopen, how to reopen. You know, he's the only um, CEO that uh, charges people to sit in the shade. He's very proud of that fact. So yeah, the fact that he can monetize anything and and make and so it means being nice and helping people and you know being nice with the guests he'll do that whatever makes a buck at the time so i think he he reflects a lot of different the, the sort of corporate point of view of, of the, the corporate owners of the various parks of how how best to serve himself right <laughs> right not in the guest best interest i'm sure plenty of things right now going on i feel like with the like disney genie that are seem like yes signed to streamline the internal paperwork and not anything to do with how the guest experience works. <laughs> so I was like, what well, makes presentation easier for us, but not for the guests. So well, what's the point of that? <laughs> so I guess that might be my answer is he is, uh, he, 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 he can't never count him out. He'll always find a way to, uh, to squeeze more out of the guests and the workers. Yes. Oh, of course the workers. Yeah. And, and certainly with the, with the social media presence and with the podcast appearances, you know, you hear a lot from Murph about the creative ways that he is saving money and getting guests to spend more money. And like, like you alluded to, it's very almost eerie. Makes me wonder, hmm, I wonder if uh, Disney executives have been have been paying attention to Fake Theme Park to get ideas because they have definitely gotten more crafty themselves with saving money and also, you know, giving guests less per dollar than they used to get and guests still flock. And that's a whole nother story, but for, we can talk for hours probably about that. But <laughs> yeah, in any case... Biggest compliments I get is um, I'm still not tired of getting it. In case you, you want to still tweet at me, they, just the response of "I thought this was supposed to be a fake park." Overlapped, you know, my park has overlapped reality to the point now that parody is reality. Right. That's a scare. That's true, though. That's a good point. Yeah. That's yeah. Wow. Wow. That's. Uh, I mean, you can even like I remember one of your um, 
one of your early kind of satires was about food service and talking about, you know, what food options are available. I think Doug or one of the other guys asked you and, and you said, well, there's, if you like Panda Express, we've got Panda Express and we've got Panda Express Express. And that's it. We just have Panda Express. And, and I love that little bit. And, and, you know, granted in real life, we have more than just Panda Express, but with the pandemic, you know, a lot of food options have been reduced and, you know, as many choices at a lot of parks. And so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think the satire you know, if you think about it, you got started with Fake Theme Park, you know, 10 years ago. So going back to about 2010, which that was coincidentally also right when uh, the first Wizarding World was opened here, Universal Orlando, and I was adventure. And a lot of people, myself included, look at, at the Wizarding World and the watershed from that. Not just that it saved Universal from bankruptcy and perhaps from even the parks going out of business or God knows what are being sold off, but it also, I, I think, is the, not the first golden age, but the latest golden age, if you will, of theme parks and how, you know, there's now people will spend more per ticket, which allows bigger and better attractions to be built and all this IP focus gets better storytelling and all of this stems back to Potter. And so here you were getting started in that when, right when all that was going on, which was a great time. And a lot of your parody is matching real life because of the pandemic and other, other factors that are going on now. And it's, it's interesting how that, that sort of convergence has happened recently. Yeah. It, it was, it was an interesting time. I just actually came out of that when I was an employee, I was actually there in 10 years with four different owners. Believe wow. Yeah. It was now, a bad time. Yeah. It's, it's, so it was, it was a bad time. And I mean, and and, uh, and and lastly would have been Comcast right in there so yeah, I was there for that as well yeah and speaking of and a little, a little bit of humor here but also a little reality I've said this to friends I'm like how who would ever have predicted quote most evil corporations that people generally refer to out there as cable companies and Comcast is one of the biggest who would figure that of all things a cable company would save Universal not just save the company. But Universal has never been doing better. I mean, they're even beating Disney in many areas. And I got to hand it, you know, I'm not a big fan of cable companies, but Comcast, thank you. You know, thank you for doing what you've done. I mean, it's amazing. And they and they love Universal. They love, you know, they they, they give them a lot of free reign, but, you know, the, the, the executives that run Universal themselves, the parks and whatnot. Comcast really supports them, and that's fantastic. We all know this is, you know, why you're on, why you're on the show today is, uh, you know, it's uh, people don't know. Listening to this episode, we're about to reveal it that Fake Theme Park is being retired. What led you to that decision after ten plus years? Yeah, several. Uh, thank you for asking. Se several things. It was not an easy decision. If anyone thinks it was, because uh, I've been doing it for so long. One reason was I, as I keep saying, I was there. My last tour of any kind of life before I walked out the door was April 2008. So even I admit I may not be the best authority to make comments on the inner workings of theme parks anymore. I, you know, I mean, I was until today, but someone can take up the mantle and take up the order or multiple someones uh, beyond me. In 11 years, I've also find that I'm kind of at times repeating myself. There's plenty, plenty of new things happening. If the pandemic wasn't ever on my agenda, and that was a whole new bunch of jokes for that. Uh, when you know, Star Wars wasn't part of Disney when I first started doing it, and Star Wars opened up a whole but still, when you're doing it every single day, multiple times a day on two different platforms, there are some jokes that repeat themselves. And I don't really love that. I like to, you know, as a writer, I'm trying to spend my time on other things. And I realize how much how much of a day is not just, you know, jokes don't come out of thin air. I, I have an incoming feed on Fake Theme Park. I'm thinking if I follow people. And so I, I see what's going on in the world and make comments on that. But it has to be, you know, somewhat digested before I just right. 
joke. And then that's, you know, up to four times a day. So and I can make other content, the, the by music videos and then audio things, <laughs> graphics. So it is, it's, it's, you know, it's all fun. It's obviously done it for the joy because there's no money in it. But right. you can be spent on other writing projects. And now I only give 80% of my brain to it. When I give 100% and see if it goes any better. So for all these reasons, that that's the time. I also want to stop. It is still fun, but like Universal, there was a point at Universal when I was working there, it was not as much fun walking people around assuming theme park for eight hours a day in 105 degree heat in the valley. Uh, it's time to do something else. That's not a fun day. So I, it's still fun. I don't want to wait until it's not fun. And all the followers are gone, and it's just sad. I might as well, you know, try to go out on top. If I had to be- you go out in the high, right? Yeah. yeah, makes sense. One thing, I, a question I just thought of in the ten plus years on the social media side of things, has there ever been? You know, I, I mentioned I told that story earlier about the uh, little jabbing between Universal Hollywood and Universal Orlando. You know, one only having one level, and well, hey, be sad to only have one park. So, have you ever had any interactions with uh, and social media with any of the park PR teams? There been any kind of funny exchange? No, no, not really. And that's been okay. mostly on purpose. I felt it was weird. I, I'm even, I don't, I, I'll say the word desperate. It looks a little much, you know, and it's supposed to be a comedy project. Everyone knows what I'm making fun of, but to start tagging them and, and talking to them seemed kind of like begging for attention. One thing. Two on the nose, maybe. So, yes, for me to go and, to kind of make them respond by tagging them and kind of harassing right. them. And to be honest, as someone who worked in social media for many, I mean, up, up until it was like two or three years ago, I was my main <laughs> source of income. So, as what, what that person is thinking. They don't want, how are they supposed to deal with me? I mean, I, I, I can say anything. I can make a bunch of jokes. Right. What are they going to, they can't screw around with me. They're going to be, they'll get fired. So I'm not sure. It's like kind of a lose-lose. Let's, somebody else can tag us both. Somebody else can reply and make the connection. Feel free. I don't care. If a third party wants to do it. But to me, kind of poke them seemed like, what is, that's so, so that's kind of sad to me i get it i get it how do i win that exactly yeah i get it it could be a little tricky only reason why i bring it up is because especially universal orlando those guys are those guys are freaking heroes i mean because that's real world that's not a fake theme park you know they're working for a real corporation and they are i don't know if it's one person or more than one person but they are just so on it it and they are doing sort of what fake theme park does because they go after Disney a lot in a fun, you know, way, competitive, but fun way where they'll, you know, they made fun of the trams coming back and, you know, they made fun of passes still being available. And it's like, you know, in a way they they do what fake theme park does. And I personally wonder, granted you've not had interactions with them, but I wonder if maybe those, whoever's doing that, if they were partially inspired by fake theme park and seeing <laughs> it or hearing it. You never know. You never know. Maybe I'll, I'll take it as a great compliment. So and maybe but, time before the park is finally over and that the universal has has sort of change attitudes. In the beginning, it was so easy to parody. It was so cheery. It was like 1995. Right. Disney was tweeting everything with exclamation points. Everything was great. <laughs> and Universal, I think, wisely took like we can't you can't outdo Disney. Let's be snarky. We're the we're the right. serious Shrek, you know, kind of brand. Let's do that. Maybe now in the final months, I could give it a shot. What have I had to lose now? And they might. Yeah, yeah you never know. You never know. Because again, those are theme park employees who have, you've resonated with that are running that account. They're real people that maybe could appreciate you. So speaking of people involved with fake theme park that can be appreciated, obviously you're moving on in the real world, writing and fo- being able to focus on more things as part of why you were firing fake theme park. But th- there's a, a certain someone that 
You know, he may not have quite the same options you do. So tell me, with fake theme park retiring, what is going to happen to Murph Gantley? Well, it's an interesting question. I've, I've thought about a lot about how to, how things are going to end. Not that there's, there's spoilers or anything, but I I think I'm leaning towards it. And, you know, I'll, I'll ask your opinion on this, Andrew, if you agree with this idea. I feel like this could be like a TV show where the TV show ends but it isn't necessarily like, you know, Gilligan's Island, they left the island. That's over. <laughs> or right. Star Trek Voyager, they come home. So there's nothing left to do. I feel like with Star Trek, other Star Trek series, the ship just keeps going. There's right. no more adventures and they just they turn the cameras off. So I'm not sure that people have, people have said that to me already when I announced the, the, the ending of it of, oh, the park will burn down. Murph Gantley will go, will be, go, go, go broke. Princesses will have no job. I feel like, isn't that kind of sad? That's sad, oh, yeah. Really? I'm not sure if that's the fun way to go. So this idea that the park will still be out there. People can imagine however they want. Uh, the, obviously, the, the Twitter will still be sitting there. I'm not going right. to uh, delete the account. So people can go through that. The books will still be available on Amazon for purchase. You can still go see it on Facebook. And I saw a music video people can enjoy. So I think it may just kind of stop as opposed to me going, well, the park has burned down. Everyone has been killed. And like, that doesn't seem, that's not really, that's sort of dark for right. a thing. So I'm not sure it's going to end any in any way like that. Have a, a big event. I don't really do a lot of storytelling. You can you can tune in if as you were anytime. There's nothing there. Yes, there's some recurring character like the Princess Rainbow is a recurring character. Right. If, if you're, anyone's listening, going, I don't want to. Eleven years of canon. This is not Game of Thrones. You can tune in anytime and get a joke about churros. Right. Right. Down and raining things out. So to have it have a story at the end seems kind of also off brand because there is no story. It's just a crazy part. Right. right. No, that's a good point. And yeah, you can just kind of let it just end. And as long as you don't pull a. Um, a uh, lost finale because <laughs> that is one of the most tragic finales uh, I, I talk about that periodically with friends again i'm a big tv show movie guy but yeah just don't don't end on a downer on a, or end on a wtf moment you know like that and <laughs> yeah just yeah just I, I think you're you're onto something there so with you now retiring fake theme park you talked about getting more into writing so uh, are you going to be taking your satirical comedic flair in a new direction? Uh, well, first of all, thank you. I hear a compliment in there, comedic flair. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course. I, mean, I, 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 I write. I, I, have, I have been a paid writer in various ways. I've written uh, articles uh, for various sites. I was a columnist for a while at a few sites. I have some industry writing. I was hired to write a bunch of screenplays in this fantasy universe. First one is should be coming out in 2022 sometime. It was already on Amazon Prime. Then it got pulled down because it was going to be distributed. I'm not sure if distributed means theaters or just means, you know, some kind of on demand on your Fire TV, but I, I'm Either way, it's a real movie, and I got paid. Right. I tried all four of them. That's uh, awesome. A pilot I've been shopping around, a pilot script that has, uh, at times, is getting more and more interest, so maybe that might become something again, whether that's on NBC on Thursdays or is on you know, YouTube. I don't, I don't know, but I uh, have written various kinds of pilots and sketches and screenplays and then even comedy videos for Fake Theme Park. So I'll be just doing more of that, of, of just writing of some kind. But I also write you know, nonfiction articles about Star Trek and uh, oh, nice. all things that interest me. Oh, <laughs> so, really? Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know, all, all things said here, you know, we're about theme park therapy and, and we've talked about, you know, the real world, your own theme park experiences and Fake Theme Park. What would you what would you want to say in terms of any advice you'd want to give our audience? <laughs> as, as an employee, I could say, and this is you know people, people rightly have a dividing line between a Disney cast member and say Universal, <laughs> per se. right? Right. Disney is this high caliber, and Universal maybe is not quite as selective. That's the myth. I am not confirming or denying that. So, as an employee, we are we are there to help. 
uh, right. as a VIP guide, you know, I've walked people around everywhere. You, the VIP tour was the studio, but also it was a theme park like guided tour. So I went into Terminator 2 and I went into Back to the Future. And right. So I got to know all the employees, even, you know, the, uh, the joke was all the tour, studio guys had, had college degrees. And so maybe the, the other departments were more for blue collar, people still in high school or something like that. And I didn't know all of them, all the different backgrounds, all different races, all different everything. And it was, it, it was very interesting to meet people beyond the, the studio guide break room of uh, that sort of, that, that level right. of thing of income, of education, of background and perspective. Um, what I'm trying to say is theme park employees, everyone, even the person in the churro cart, even the person, you know, selling ice cream, never mind the write-ups and obviously the big people like characters and princesses are there to help. So if you are in any kind of need, obviously we see the Batman <laughs> outside as people being yelled out of her masks. But if you have a, a re- an actual need, an actual concern, if you're worried about something, you can ask a, a ride-op to go, you, know, you see this giant sign about all the things that are going to happen in this ride. You tell me about it. What is going yep. to be, how, this drops, how, how big a drop, how many drops, this is dark, how dark, uh, strobe lights affect me, but how, what level of strobe light? So obviously the, the ride option are the ride the best, but anyone can tell you yep. how long the studio tour is. And people can tell you you'll get wet on that ride. You know, I, I, everyone knows those sort of things if they're a good employee. So right. deal with them with a concern, if you're anxious, if you're nervous, if you've lost something, if there's any concern, uh, if, even a complaint, if it's something right. right away, not a general complaint about ticket prices, they can't help with <laughs> That thing is broken and that is sharp or something. That's too, you know, that we are right. help. we're happy to do something. <laughs> yeah. To help, to solve a problem, help a guest, help a kid, uh, make a kid's day magical, even if it's universal, which is not our word. So um, feel free. Don't, don't feel that you are. It's just you and a bunch of signs and announcements, right. warnings and, and sort of sirens at you. There are people. I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not saying managers. I'm saying actual line employees. Right who uh, are regular folks and will be happy to help you with a disability, with a child, with a, with a concern, with a, some kind of anxiety. So don't, don't feel like I just got to be the brochure. That's it. Once the brochure says there's a drop, I'll just have to figure it out from there. Really good advice, Jason. I, I, I appreciate that. No one has ever suggested that before. That's awesome. Happy to so, help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so last but not least, here we are at a crossroads, you know, fake theme parks going away and you're moving on to other things. So um, perhaps what you could do here is to share where people can find you, whether it be whatever aspects of fake theme park will still be out there after the retirement. And then if you want to share anything about how people can find you with what you're doing next, whatever you want to share, website, social media, feel free to share away. Oh, thank you. Oh, oh I love sure. that. Well, yeah, the easy thing is fake theme park. It's all one word. It's at fake theme park on Twitter. Also fake theme park on Facebook. It's a page. If people are listening, you're like, I hate Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. It's too toxic. Whatever the reason is. Okay. We're on Facebook too. Content. So don't, don't worry, you're not missing anything. Uh, also YouTube, because I have co-written two comedy songs. I had a lot of time, a lot of energy on this for not any money, but I made fun <laughs> of I made a princess anthem parody and a parody of the Mickey Mouse Club March. And I mean, completely original songs, not just the same music with different words. Actually, a composer came in and we wrote it together and one of them has an actual video, someone playing a princess. And again, that was my own money for, for nothing, <laughs> for ad revenue that never came in. So there's Faith Theme Park and all these various platforms. There are two books that do make me some money, should you feel you would like to support the cause. Uh, if you have Kindle Unlimited, they are nothing. They're totally free. $5 on Kindle, $20 paperback. Um, that comes from most of the publisher more than me. Uh, they're self-published, but I still go through some company to get these. Right. Uh, you just Google fake theme park or my name and see um, the first one is called, If the Princess Rolls Her Eyes, Your Wish Will Come True. <laughs> 
And the second one is called You Must Be This Tall to Exit the Park. <laughs> those, those are both great names. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, copy edited by my lovely wife. So uh, those are, again, either free, either free or up to $20 that are fun. That is content from the best of in various categories. One book has Halloween. One book has Christmas. Uh, one book has a princess interview. One book has a Murph Gantling interview, if you're more into Murph Gantling. So it's both things the best of from, from the Twitter and Facebook and original content. You will not find it anywhere else. So make it somewhat worthwhile, your money, the things that are just too long for a Facebook post that are, you know, I have a whole timeline of park events and some things that are just paragraphs and paragraphs that are documents from the park that you'll find. So uh, those are a good value, I think. Uh, so that's Fake Team Park. If you want me, uh, I'm... Jason Ginsburg, it's G-I-N-S-B-U-R-G, like a town, like Gettysburg. I'm on IMDb. I am on Twitter. I'm not quite as funny as Fake Theme Park. I am funny sometimes, and I talk about Star Trek uh, and the Universal Monsters. I'm a big fan of them. I write articles about them, both for myself and for other publications. So yeah, at Ginsburg, I was on Twitter very early, as I said, back when it was just starting, so I got the last name, G-I-N-S-B-U-R-G. And you can look me up. I'm on IMDb. As well, if you want to see these projects I'm talking about, these fantasy films that are coming out, then some comedy videos for National Lampoon, Playboy, Home Shopping Network, Science Channel, Animal Planet, that are, some of them are still online, some of them disappeared over the years. <laughs> this is going over a decade now, but I'm happy to uh, talk to people. Uh, DMs are open on, on Twitter. Feel free to talk to me. If you want to do a, some kind of business contact, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I work in television. If anyone is uh, wants to talk about uh, that world, streaming TV in particular, I'm happy to talk to anybody. I'm, I'm too friendly. If, if it gets to be too much, I'll turn it off. Right now, I'm happy to talk to anybody about TV, about writing, about Star Trek, about Disney, anything. It's all good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jason. And like I said, we'll make sure to link the uh, season pass episode. I think there was four of them you've been on so far. Maybe five. Maybe five. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe five. But I'll, I'll look those all up in the archives on Season Passes website and we'll link those in our show notes as well. Because, well, again, thank you, Jason, for uh, visiting with us and, and telling us all about yourself and Big Theme Park. Thank you. Oh, and a pleasure. I love talking about myself. <laughs> I'll do it anytime. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Jason. You know, guys, that was a really awesome episode. And, you know, Jason, it's really sad that you're going to be officially retiring. Um, you've done such an incredible job with. With fake theme park everybody just loves what you do and you just make it so funny and everything you do in those episodes is so true about the theme park industry you're definitely going to be missed but at least your episodes will always still be on the air for people to listen and hopefully maybe someday you'll come back and do a comeback and bring murph back for special occasions well guys it's been a really really awesome uh episode today i hope you guys really enjoyed it pretty much this is the last episode of february we are actually heading to our final four episodes episodes of season one i can't believe the season's actually coming to an end but season two will be starting in april so we've got a very exciting guest lineup for season two some that are going to blow your socks off i'll tell you that but justin how can they find us here on social media if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast and if you want to see more from us we upload every friday and check us out on facebook instagram twitter youtube all at coaster challenge links in the description thank you justin yes guys make sure to subscribe to all our social media channels make sure to give us a thumbs up and a special review on your favorite podcast network we really appreciate it we've worked very hard to bring some great entertainment and hopefully some education out there for people to be able to help them break their fears and anxieties we just really appreciate all your love and support out there you know we've having one incredible season and i just want to take the time to thank you guys so much but anyway guys this is david Cantu with the coaster challenge podcast and we'll see you right here next week yeah.